Welcome to another The Man in the Arena podcast episode. It's been a little bit since we produced an episode. It's been about two weeks probably, but we're back on the road. I'm back on the road and working towards getting healthy and getting in a game. But today we have our guest, Matt Chamberlain of Diamond Hitting Development. Did I, did I say that right, Matt? Yeah, you said it right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so Mr. Chamberlain was a UNH graduate university of new haven not university of new hampshire uh he was a charger and we'll let him kind of tell the story but i just want to give the foundation first he he played at unh and then i believe were you drafted or signed as a free agent during signed as a free agent, signed yeah. as a free agent during 2020 during covid correct yeah. and you played in the st louis cardinals organization and then um now, now you're now you're doing your own thing at diamond hitting so um, I want to start off with going back to where baseball started for you, and I haven't really talked to you about this. I know you're from Connecticut, but what was what was the first moment like you fell in love with baseball when you were younger? Fell in love with baseball? I don't know. Like I still remember being in t-ball and and like just <laughs> wanting to, to actually play the game and not pick dandelions. Like I remember just being so invested uh, in every single swing and having so much fun and rolling around on the ground. I'd come home with with dirt and, and grass stains all over me. And I think uh, that's what I loved. Like I loved being that like gritty player that wasn't afraid to, to make a play and get dirty. Yeah. And when, when you first like started playing baseball was, did you know that that was going to be something that you did for the rest of your night, did for the rest of your life? Or were you just thinking that it was another, another sport for you? Like, was that your favorite from the start or, did you develop that over time? It actually wasn't my favorite. I, I loved hockey. Um, and then over time, I just I had a natural ability for baseball. Um, quite honestly, I threw the ball a lot harder than everybody else. And I kind of just ran with it and I worked really hard. And it ended up being uh, something that I was able to do professionally. Yeah, one of the questions that like I think about, one of my buddies asked me this last year was, like, do, do you think that you like loved baseball because you were good at it or do you think you loved it and then because you loved it you just kept playing and got better and better so you telling me that you threw hard makes me think like or or makes me wonder because you threw hard and you were better do you think that that's why you fell in love with the game or do you think that you just loved the game and it just so happened that you threw hard and were good uh I definitely think that being good gave me like an extra motivation factor for baseball I uh I've definitely gone through like the ups and downs and and uh until professional baseball I don't think I would have said I I loved baseball but after being through every level it it definitely uh it hits different with me now. When you were in high school did you play any other sports like as you progressed as a player did you play any other sports or were you mainly focused on baseball in high school? Uh I did play hockey and football in high school and then uh, messed around my friends at the courts playing basketball as well. Out of all those sports like hockey, baseball, or hockey, baseball, football, basketball, what was one of the sports that like stood out to you as being um, the hardest from an athlete's perspective, like from a movement perspective or from a hand-eye, wh- whatever, whatever you want to base it on, what was the hardest one for you to pick up and why? Um. You know, I think you could definitely speak to this. Hockey's really hard to to skate, but once you learn how to do that, it's uh, it's really fun. You could just like kind of rip around the ice. Um, 
so fundamentally I'd probably say hockey, but I had a really hard time playing basketball and I'm sure all my friends would say this too. I, uh, just like, it was so different than the other sports jumping and, and short agility. Uh, I just really struggled there, but it, it, it was definitely still fun. Yeah. Hockey is like one of the, the most athletic sports in, in my mind. Like as soon as you get that foundation of skating, like I th- feel like everything else comes pretty easily. Uh, I I never played basketball, and when whenever I'll go, like we'll go to Gold's Gym as a team. Whenever I'll go, like I, I cannot dribble. I I like I just don't have that skill set. But I I shoot lights out. Like I'm I'm nasty from three, and I win all the win all the competitions shooting wise. But dribbling wise, it's just not my thing. And I'm also not the the ideal body type for basketball i'm not a six eight guy with with long arms so um that didn't work in my favor but i'm I'm definitely glad that i played hockey too um and when when i first saw you for those who don't know i played you i actually had one i faced you once you had won a bat against me i don't know if you remember it at all do you do you remember the bat at all against me and i think it was in florida vaguely vaguely Um, so I played for SNHU my freshman year and Matt played for UNH or University of New Haven. And I believe you were a, so- were you a sophomore at the time? Uh, I think so. And, and you were reigning all or rookie of the rookie, any 10 rookie of the year. Mm. Is that maybe all rookie team, but w- our team was really good. Yeah. And we um, faced you guys the year before and it was a history. Yeah, I mean, I remember when when we faced New Haven, when they were talking about hitters, they talked about Matt Chamberlain. Like, that was the thing. It was like, don't pitch to him. Like, don't give him anything to hit because he'll crush it. So I knew going in, like, that you were you were the shit and you were the person, like, that was going to do damage if I gave you a pitch to hit. And back then I was a little bit different of a pitcher than I am now, but I remember I did walk you, and then I think you came around to score on a double by – some huge dude that wasn't wearing batting gloves. I don't know what his name was, but uh, so I do remember that that you did score a run off me. Um, but back then, like from from then to now, your your body type has changed a little bit. Like if I remember correctly, you were a pretty big dude. Like um, I remember you getting in the box and and you were like more stocky. Is that is that fair, it's to, fair say? to say? Yeah, fair sophomore to say. year I I built up a little bit. Yeah, so I, I want to talk about like obviously it it takes a little bit to get that that big or that stocky but when was your first experience with with lifting like did you get it in high school or when you got to college is that when you first started to really build yeah it's a really good question actually I uh I joined the football team in high school mainly to work on my lifting and and getting stronger and building that strength foundation so I had some experience there and then uh just as I, I as I progressed I kind of worked on uh being a little bit more deliberate with my work in the weight room what's your favorite like go-to exercise like are you do you like throwing med balls and rotating do you like upper body stuff like do you like to work get an arm farm in or do you like legs like if you had to choose like what would what would you pick I guess it depends what I'm working on uh like foundationally I think the split squat or reverse lunges like really helped me if you said I had one exercise I had to do every day for the rest of my life it would be deadlift okay just picking stuff up off the ground I love it I, uh, I'm not a huge deadlift guy. Like I like to deadlift, but if I had to choose one, I think I would choose like a split squat or reverse lunge. Like for some reason, I really like that position. I feel like my legs get huge from it. Yeah. Uh, do you, I actually wanted to ask you this question cause you're a big hitting guy. Like I'm somewhat of a big pitching guy. I'm not a big mechanical guy. I'm more of a, like an, an external cue or uh yeah, an external cue guy where 
I just tell somebody to do something and have their body find a way to move in their specific way. Like that's kind of my philosophy. But do you think that split squats, like I think a lot about hitting and, and pitching and they have the same lower half mechanics, like very similar lower half mechanics if you look at it um, or if you're just like, like when I, when I'm at home and I'm practicing swinging just for fun, like I feel like a hip load similar to what I would feel when I was pitching. Do you think that those, those lower halves are comparable? Absolutely. It's a rotation, right? You're transferring the weight from your lower half to your upper half and trying to rotate as hard as you can. I want to know your recruiting process because you were, you were signed, you know, a lot of guys and, and some people listening to this podcast might think that the only way to get signed or the only way to get drafted is to be a d1 player and you're you're coming from a high school in connecticut i don't know if you were highly touted and maybe you could talk about the recruiting process and who what schools you were looking at if you were looking at like if mlb teams were talking to you and just talk about the recruiting process of getting into to new haven and committing there yeah uh (laughs) this is a it's a tough topic for me like I wasn't highly recruited. I had a a couple emails back and forth, but I was super inexperienced through the process and neither of my parents played college sports. So, uh, you know, for me, it was, it was a big maturing process. And, um, you know, I just, I kind of went through, through it, not knowing exactly how to go about it. And, uh, just probably declining a lot of schools right off the bat because I just had no interest in them. But, might have been worth looking into uh, now looking back at it. Were you declining these schools because of like the division level? Like, did you want to be a D1 player and you were kind of set on that? Is that why you were declining or was there other reasons? Uh, I don't know. Some reason I got in my head that I had to be, uh, I had to know what I was going to do when I went into school. So I remember uh, very specifically Marist reached out to me. Division one school, like good area, good conference. And, uh, I immediately said no because they didn't have athletic training and that's what I wanted to study at the time my sophomore year in high school and then you know I ended up not even studying that in college so uh, I always think back to that and being like wow what if I just like kept that line of communication open and ended up going to Marist how would my life be different than it is today yeah that's really interesting you say that I think when people are going into college and especially like you're telling this story and if, if we had never talked about this like I would never I would never have known this about you. And if, if I'm not talking about what I'm about to talk about, like other people might not know about it too. And like, everyone's thinking the same thing. Like when we go into college, like we want to be that person that's confident and maybe you are that person that's confident and that person that knows what he wants to do. But for me, like I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I had a similar story. Like I I did want to go D one, but when the D two opportunity came up, I, I took it. But again, like my freshman year, I switch majors like from undeclared to business, like back and forth, like four times. So I think from the outside, if you don't talk to people and and you just are looking and comparing because of their social media and Instagram, you think that everyone knows what they want to do. But when you actually talk to people and understand what their story is and, and how the decisions they made like affected them in the long run, you can understand that that not everyone has it planned out. And, and even now I'm a six year in college and I don't have it planned out. Like nobody actually has it planned out. Even the people with jobs, like nobody knows what they want to do. So I think that breaking the barrier and like that, that stigma that you don't know what you want to do. So you're different is really important, especially for any, any younger players or high school players that are listening to this. If, if you don't know exactly what you want to go into in college, that's okay. 
because you'll you'll figure it out like it, it's all going to work out eventually in the way it's supposed to but if you go in with that anxiety and like tension that I had um and, and feeling like you needed to know exactly what what you wanted to do that can actually hurt you in the long run is that something that you experienced when you were getting recruited and and deciding to go to New Haven yeah absolutely I I limited myself there and um you know I was the same way Jordy you said it really really well like nobody has it figured out and we're all just we're all just trying to figure it out as we go and and some people are more confident than others in that but it's definitely relatable and I'm gonna put this guy on the spot so we're doing this in uh in the living room of my uh, hotel room there's a there's a king bed in one room and a pull-out couch on the other and we're sitting on the couch doing this podcast but my roommate Hayden Smith uh, he's a junior at Northeastern he's a pitcher he got his first college start the other day but he's doing homework right now and I just want to I want to ask him if if he thinks that um, you know everyone has it figured out or I want to know his story of getting into Northeastern because he's he's in engineering is that right Hayden? Yes, that's right. All right. And did you have it, even though like that's a very specific thing to do and that's a very specific career to go into, did you have that figured out out of high school or is that something that you kind of fell in love with or learned about as you got to Northeastern? So I, I mean, like being interested in engineering, I really liked science, math, physics. So I kind of knew that that path was right for me. Um, so, you know, I was like interested in engineering, but even like, like the, the program that I got accepted to Northeastern at, it was bioengineering and that wasn't even the, um, the program that I ended up in. So now I'm in electrical engineering, but so like, like, I like what you said about like, you know, it's okay to not know. Cause like, I, I thought I knew, like, I was like, yeah, like I'm going to do bioengineering. Like, this is going to be awesome. And then I got there and I'm like, you know, like I, I still, I was right about engineering. Like I still really love engineering, but like you know, I want to come at it from a different angle. I want like a different area. So like, I think that you're definitely right that it's okay to not know. And even if you think, you know, like you might know, yeah, but if you don't, it's okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you know, if you know, that's great. Like there, there's no, nothing wrong in, in applying and getting into a program that you think, but like your story, like passions change or things change and, and it's okay to change halfway through. Like I transferred schools twice yeah. Like one, one was for academics. Like the first one was for academics and the second one was more because I wanted to further my baseball career, but like things change and, and people change and you change hopefully for the better. So, so trying to tie yourself to one specific career or pathway when you're 16 or 18 years old is crazy. Like that's, yeah, that's I mean, like you can't really know for sure. Yeah. And, like, and uh, I mean, I don't know for sure, and I'm almost 24. So. Yeah, like you want to do the things that are going to set you up for success, and if you think you know what it is, then maybe it makes sense to lean that way. But making like really, you know, limiting decisions when you're that young and you don't really know, like it's it's tough. Yeah. So I I mean, the more like even talking to you and 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 Matt now, like one of the things that I'm taking away right now is just keep your options open and and don't limit yourself. Like y- you are able to do more than you actually think you can do in a variety of of different like aspects of life like don't take away opportunities because at that point in your life you don't think that you're going to be interested 
down the road. Like you might change and, and keep those options open so that if you do become interested or passionate about something else, you can find a way into those spaces in life. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now I have a question, question again for, for Matt. We're, we're moving on towards the, the college space and experience in your life. But what are some things that you struggled not only in the game but outside the game moving into college and and figuring stuff out on your own in the game? Like when you played fall ball, what were the biggest things and the biggest adjustments you had to make on the field? And then what were the biggest adjustments that you had to make off the field? I think off the field I struggled a lot more than I did on. Um, I actually came in and made a – an impact as a freshman right away, which I was lucky to do um, to get that opportunity. Um, but off the field, I was really struggling with like kind of like going back to what we said before, like just like feeling like I didn't really fit in, like I didn't have a path, like all of my friends had their majors decided and and they had their friend groups and they went to school with, with people from their high schools. Uh, so I was kind of like left out a lot and I just, you know, I struggled to – find that ground where like I could stand on and I found it in baseball and that's actually kind of where I fell in love with baseball so uh, it's cool how it comes full circle like that baseball has always been something that can enhance my life it hasn't been something that I ran to when I needed like something to take my mind off things like baseball to me was something that it, it, it was healing me but it wasn't something that I used to like mask up emotions like I, I didn't run to it like I would say lifting is something that I would, would go to or like going for a walk. Like if I'm feeling down or I don't feel like I'm in a good space, like I would go to like those two things over baseball. Like baseball is always something for me that like, I don't, I don't want it to be something that I run to, to take things away. I want it to only enhance. So when you were, when you were struggling with these things and like off the field stuff, did you feel like you went to baseball to, to, to mask up those things or, or how did you like view baseball when you were in this tough space off the field? Yeah. Uh, so baseball for me was like, and I actually, I was thinking about this walking up here. I was, <laughs> I was like, at some point I know this is going to come out, but um, baseball to me was like a, especially once I got to college was like a prove them wrong type mentality. Um, I felt like with the recruiting process and everything, like I was, I was overlooked and, and I was going to show them and it was like kind of like negative, but, um, you know, I used it to my advantage, which I credit myself yeah. for. Like I, I used it to motivate me and I worked hard at it. Um, and like I said, I found that foundation in baseball, but, um, as time went on, I, you know, I did prove them wrong yeah. and, and then what? And I kind of came to this stalemate where it was like, okay, like I did everything I set out to do. I proved them all wrong. I, the emotions were gone. And it was like, now what do I do? I I actually like really like that you brought this up. One of the things that like I've read about in Tim Grover's book, I don't know if you've read Relentless or Winning, yeah. but he, he talks a lot about like the, using the dark side. Yeah. And I think that you use the dark side and that's something that I used to use too. Like I, I was like doubt fuels me. Like I was that dude that was like, like I, I'm going to prove you wrong. Like I'm, I'm a 5'10", like guy from Vermont, like I'm going to be the best and, and you're, you're all going to be wrong. But at some point, like that starts to get old and like wear off. And I don't, I like, at one point I didn't feel good doing things out of hate. Like I was like, this is just making me like bitter and, and, uh, and angry. So like one thing that I started to do is like kind of use, use few, like a positive energy fuel source. Like I would use 
the people who supported me and my family to like use that as energy. And I feel like that's more sustainable and has, has, has kept me, um, kept me in higher spirits and, and a more positive energy. And I'm not saying that the dark side is wrong because we need at some point to like, to stand up and compete and have that dark side, but to have a balance of both, I think is, is important. Is, is that something that you've found? And is that something that, um, you've seen from yourself or any other players that you've played with? Yeah. thousand percent. You couldn't have said it better. My junior year, actually, I called it a, I guess we'll call it an FU mentality, but uh, that was my best year in college. And then after that year, dude, I felt so drained. Like I was exhausted and I was like, I don't like, I can't do that again. And the sl- like when you would slump because it's baseball, right? Like I'd still get out and it was like, it was just like, it felt like it was never ending. And it was like a bottomless pit of just like anger and it, it was just endless. Yeah. It's just a, like a downward spiral. Yeah. Like, and this, like that energy is, I think a lot of people think that like whatever energy you bring to the baseball field, like just ends like when the game's over and I think like a lot of fans like or or just casual people who who watch the game don't understand that like that being an athlete or people who are playing the game like when that game ends that game to to everyone else on the outside like watching ends like who gives a shit like the game's over yeah but especially like I've seen guys like athletes carry that with them so if you're having that negative energy, negative energy, negative energy, the game ends, and then you just carry that negative energy with you, it's following you, and it's always with you wherever you go. So, like, you're having dinner, and that negative energy, like, those voices, like, they're pissing you off. Like, it's not just leaving. It's, like, you are an athlete, but you're a human being, and how you interact on the field carries over to your real life, and your real life carries over to the field. So it's, like, this interconnected space and circular flow of energy and um just like the only way I can describe it is energy. And when I talk about energy, like it's not something that's tangible for me. It's just like a feeling or, uh, Hayden probably could describe it because he's like an electrical engineer. I what's, do you know the definition of energy? Do you know on the top of your head or no? Just say no. If you don't No. you want to look at, you want to look it up? Yeah. I think this is a really cool point though. Like, I totally agree with what you're saying, and I think a lot of people uh, can relate. I don't know if they can define it as well as you can, Jordy, but um, this brings up a really good point. I worked with this guy, Brian Alawazi, with the Cardinals. He was the mental performance coach, right? And he told me a story. I, I kind of, once I got to pro ball, took the approach of, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in with, like, uh, the positive energy, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this negative energy. I'm where I want to be. Like, I'm so grateful. And just tried to bring that to the table every day. Um, and he, he, I, I mentioned that to him and he talked to me and he said, he's like, Matt, you gotta, you gotta turn on your alter ego sometimes and, yeah. and be able to flip that switch. And we had a great conversation about the exact point that you just made. I was like, Brian, what if I can't turn that switch off? Which is kind of what, it, what you're describing. Right. And he told me a story about Nolan Arenado and his right. switch and what he uses to kind of channel his energy during the game. And it ultimately came down to me saying like, I don't know if I can flip that switch on and off like I really struggled with that so that's why I decided to take the more positive route and kind of just completely like uh immerse myself in that rather than negative energy and I think that like kind of speaks volume to my personality too like when I'm invested in something I have really I have tunnel vision 
right? Like when I, like when I started playing baseball in college, like all those things, um, I have a problem multitasking, which means like those moments, like you're saying, when you come off the field, it, it's really hard for me to, to flip that switch. I was the same person on as I was off. And I'm, I don't know how I looked to you <laughs> when we played each other, but, um, I definitely like tried to bring an intensity and, and, uh, relentlessness when I was playing in early college. Yeah. I think, or I know when you said, you know, you had trouble with multitasking. I think everybody has trouble with multitasking. They just don't know it. Like if you're immersed in, in one thing, if you're immersed in like a book, but you're also listening to a podcast and you're also like doing homework, like they're like, Oh, I can multitask, but you actually can't like the quality is actually terrible. So there is like, no such thing as really multitasking. Like if you're sure, if you're listening to music and working out like whatever, but if if you're like trying to write a paper and trying to do all these other things, like you're not multitasking, you're just spreading thin and and the quality of your work is actually pretty shit. Probably going into junior year, was there teams talking to you? And did you know that uh, playing professionally was on the table for you? And, And how did you handle that? And, and what were things that were going on inside your head? So I think going into college, I had no idea. Um, fre- after freshman year, I, I kind of got a glimpse of hope. Summer ball went okay. I actually went to Geneva, Hayden's hometown. Geneva. And uh, <clears throat> sophomore year, I slumped. You might not think it, but I didn't do as well as I wanted to. And then that summer, I went to Martha's Vineyard to play for the Sharks. And I fell in love with baseball again. Like, I, I did great. And that fall, we went to Yale for scout day. And I went five for five with like two doubles, a triple. Like I went, I went crazy. Um, and the Yankees ended up giving me a call like a month later. It was, uh, it was Matt Hyde, yeah. and my like heart sank. It was, I was, I remember the exact moment. I was in the library. He called me, and I was next to my friend, and I, I was like, the, uh, "This is the Yankees calling." Or I answered the phone, and he was like, "This is Matt Hyde with the Yankees." And I like looked at them, and I walked out, and I was like, just like starstruck. I was like, "This is great." And then a couple months later, the Texas Rangers sent me a questionnaire, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. Like, this is happening. The Mets invited me to uh, some workout. Um, and then that season came around, and, and I, like, I don't, I don't remember. I remember our team, did w- uh, our team didn't do well, but I was just, like, <laughs> I was on a tear. I, I kept the same mentality from the summer before, which was that, like I said to you, that edge, like the FU mentality. Yeah. I had a good year, but our team didn't. Um, we only played like 30 games, small sample size for them to draft me with. And then, uh, when draft day came around, I ended up having three teams asking about me, the Yankees, the, the, um, the blue Jays with Pete Holmes and the Rangers with, uh, I don't know his full name, but we just call him T money, but I was close to those scouts. They had interviews with me. Like the process was really cool. It was exciting me. And, uh, on draft day, the Yankees ghosted me. And the Rangers asked me for a number for money. And the Blue Jays called me in like the 38th round and basically said, we're not going to draft you. <laughs> and, and I was on the vineyard for summer ball at the time. And I remember I was just like heartbroken. My mom came out to visit. It was terrible. Um, but I mean, the whole process, like I didn't really, I didn't really put pressure on myself. Like, like I just kind of did my own thing and, and people might've thought that there was pressure, but uh, yeah, it just didn't end up working out that year. Yeah, one of the questions I have from from experience and and I w- and just wanted to know more is when 
you know, they talk about baseball, like your junior year in college is your draft year. Right. So like, that's like a lot of hype is around that and a lot of dramas around that. Yeah. And I've definitely seen both. It, it go both ways where kids like excel and then kids also crumble and fall. But to me, like the scouts have already seen like what you're capable of. So your performances, yeah, they, they matter a little bit. But if you just go out, like, do you feel like you need to do anything crazy? Because to me, just going out there and doing what you do, no matter like what the results are, the scouts like actually like to see how you handle failure and like to see how um, you can rebound and, and your resiliency. So did, do you think that say you're a junior right now in, in college and you're struggling a little bit like during your draft year, but people were like scouts were talking to you and major league teams are aware of you. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Like, what are some words of advice to, to those kids who are struggling a little bit and, and are thinking that they have no shot now because they struggle for a few games? Uh, that's such a tough question because it's so much easier said than done. Yeah. Like, I generally speaking, if I could tell anybody, it would be like, don't worry about it, right? But my advice would be to find somebody that you can rely on and find somebody that you can trust to go back to and 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 just bounce ideas off of. Maybe somebody that's been there before. I think that would be my advice. Find somebody that's been there before and uh, you know, really invest your 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 time and energy in them i guess like like just put your trust in them because that's going to really help you and give you a support system that you need going through this process it's so confusing it can be so hard but to have somebody that's been there before i think just gives you that extra extra boost of confidence really yeah and and when you when you were on the vineyard and all these all these things were happening you weren't getting your name called you weren't getting drafted what like what were the next few days like and and how did the cardinals reach out to you about uh free agent signing during the covid year yeah uh i mean it was four rounds or five rounds that year so i kind of knew i wasn't going to get drafted um but i was looking forward to the free agent signing at this point i had a couple more teams on me that were asking me if i had interest so i i had a feeling um and then russ kern from the sharks ended up giving me a call the day before the draft and was like hey you're gonna get picked up by the cardinals <laughs> and I don't, I don't know if this is bad information, yeah. um, but I it like my heart kind of sank, and I was like, "How do you know?" And he was like, "Trust me, I know." I, he might have had a conversation with them. I don't really know, but um, it was really it was cool to hear. And then obviously the draft happened. One kid from the NE10 signed, Ryan Murphy, yep. who got drafted by the Giants, Giants yeah. in the fifth round. That was really cool to see him go. Yeah, and I, I still had a glimpse of hope, yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, whatever two days went by the dead period um i wasn't stressed at all i woke up at like 7 a.m on draft day because i couldn't sleep or free agent signing day and uh you know i kind of just knew that it was going to happen i went to my i went to my mom's house and i didn't tell her that i knew but 9 a.m came around when you could call people and uh i got a phone call from the cardinals and the rest was kind of history that's awesome uh so was that your junior or senior year so my senior year started, I played eight games. And then COVID? And then COVID. So there was no re- – I was going to ask what did it – like, if there was a decision to be made because if you were a junior, obviously you would have a chance to go back to school, but there there was no really thought into that, right? Because you were, you were just going to go to the Cardinals and 
and finish your did you get to finish your school like did, did they allow you to finish your classes before you had to go to the cardinals or how did you how did that work out um so i had to finish like two credits yeah. um but i did have a decision to make actually i i, I could go back to school for my grad oh, year and pretty much get it paid for or i yeah. could go play professional baseball and um I just ended up deciding to play Pro Bowl. I don't regret it at all. And um, finished my degree that fall. And, uh, yeah, that's really it. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't too difficult. I had nothing I was incredibly interested in academically. I just wanted to play baseball. Yeah, now, now that we're on kind of the Pro Bowl topic, just like I asked earlier about the, the transition to college, what was the transition like from college to Pro Bowl? And what were the struggles again? I'm assuming that now there is more of a struggle emphasis on the baseball because of the talent jump and coming from a D2. Like, um, can, can you talk about the struggles that you had again on and off the field? Yeah, this is actually, uh, you're totally right. It's a much better comparison for struggling on the field, off the field. I felt fine in pro ball. I fit in like all the guys were, were very similar in the fact that they were super motivated. Like it, it did, it lived up to the expectations of like guys were obsessed with their craft and it was awesome environment to be around um but i did struggle i struck out a lot a lot more than i ever have and a lot for for that level so um you know diamond hitting development is literally like taking my experiences and trying to help people through those like uh our slogans bridging the gap like division two three whatever it is like if you're good enough to play professional baseball you're good enough and you know i want to help guys like realize that but realize that there's going to be a jump and uh you know, being around Division One baseball now, like, like we train maybe better than the pros, really? to be honest. Like, I think they the pros can take stuff from us just as much as we can them. That's that's crazy. I actually wrote down like I wanted to know your training, but that's great that that you you brought that up. Why why is it is it just like more resources, like better facilities? What is the difference? Because for those who don't know, like, not all. I don't even know, and maybe you can talk on this a little bit, but I'm assuming not all minor league teams are getting these luxurious facilities. Like, you guys are taking buses. This isn't like, for people who are just casual fans, you're not, once you get called up or get drafted or signed or whatever to pro ball, you're not in the MLB. You're in a minor league team, and you're not experiencing all these luxurious things. You're not getting paid millions of dollars. Like, you, you're grinding, and, and you don't have access to – the stuff that the major league players do. So can you talk about like the, the struggles of like, of dealing with things like that and, and like the hardest parts to being a minor leaguer? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the minimum you're going to be in the minors is probably two years, no matter how good you are. I think Bryce Harper was there for two years, Mike Trout, same thing, three, maybe, but, um, you know, you don't get paid a lot. A lot of guys don't sign for a lot outside of the first couple rounds. So you're kind of living off, uh, living off bare minimum. The resources aren't great. I mean, the when I was in high A, we had one batting cage uh, and it was like underneath the stands. It was dusty. Um, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity, but it was it was something you had to grind through a little bit. And that was for both teams. The locker room was great. Um, the food was better. And now the minor leaguers are getting paid double. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, that was like a recent, like maybe yesterday where it was the tweet so. by jeff passan or passan yeah. or whatever yeah so they unionized and now they're getting paid double which is going to help them a lot find their own resources but as far as resources from the org like it's ki- i 
as far as resources from the org, it was it was much more old school, and that might have been the Cardinals, but it was uh, it was a lot of like you're gonna get coached the right way, we're gonna play the game the right way and play it hard, but there was no like maybe I expected to go there and for them to have like all the answers like a develop like developmentally was yeah I thought like there was going to be five coaches at every place a p- position coach for everyone and an individual hitting coach and a hitting plan but there wasn't yeah. and I think that was like shocking to me that it was kind of like hey like here's your routine like you figure it out on your own yeah. you find a way to get better yeah figure yeah. it out yeah and a lot of guys could and some guys couldn't and you know like I said I, I struck out a lot more than I should have. And that was kind of the area that I struggled and never figured out in pro ball. Yeah. And, and for like, this is probably one of the, one of my favorite things that I'm going to get to talk about on this podcast since it started, because this podcast, the name of the podcast is the man in the arena podcast, which is from a, a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. Like it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out where the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena with or sweat like blood, sweat and tears. Blood, sweat, yeah, blood, sweat and, okay. and that like that kind of thing. So it's it's not the credit to the man who's or to the guy and the critics outside. It's the guy who's actually doing the shit. Um so if 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 you're listening to this and you wanna read the full full quote, it's a speech by Theodore Roosevelt called The Man in the Arena. Um, you could easily look it up, uh, and I have it in my room. Like it's it's one of the quotes that my grandfather gave me, and he gave to our whole family. And I like really, really, really enjoy it. So, like, I want to know your views of sports fans. I did my own solo podcast and talked about sports fans, and and you don't have to come at them like. And, and I don't think that um, g- like general sports fans will will get mad at this. And I, I just want to know your views like uh, of people in the stands so like I have views of people in the stands like when we go to USF or when we go it's probably worse than pro ball but when we go to places and we're the guests we're the visitors there's always people in the stands that are somehow trying to find a way to throw you off your game just because you have a different uniform on like they don't know you as an actual person they're just there to watch the game but to me it's it's like there's a there's a way there's a correct way to be a sports fan and maybe this is probably an unpopular opinion that in my opinion if I go to a game and I'm watching a sports fan sports team that I like whether it's a a 12U baseball team whether it's a NHL team whether it's an NFL team whatever when I'm in the stands like I'm cheering for my team but there's n- no point in time where I'm like shitting on the other team and telling them what they did wrong yeah, or rooting or for somebody to rooting lose. for somebody to like rooting for somebody to fail yeah. like there's not a point where I, where i'm looking at somebody or, or say like somebody misses a jump shot and i'm like damn bro they suck yeah like those guys suck and it's like i'm sitting i just paid 80 dollars to sit in the stands and watch some dude that's worked his whole life to get to that point like miss one basket when he's an nba player like obviously he's in the top point zero 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 one percent in the world and I'm I have the audacity to be like this guy sucks like that looks so bad on to me to me it looks so bad on me to sit there and say that mm-hmm. but yet you go to if you're quiet like w- recently last summer I went to like a Red Sox game 
and I, I was just like very quiet and observe what was going on in the stadium. And if you're quiet and like look around and observe, you know, you'll see like the dad and the, the son enjoying the game. And like that that's like what I think sports fans should be like. They're sharing something. They're sharing a connection and, and growing over the game. And then you'll look and you'll see like some 22 year old college dude from whatever school in Boston yelling at the center fielder, or the twins, because he doesn't like the way his hair looks. And then as soon as the twins guy like hits a double, comes back out and has a ball in between innings, the same guys yelling like, yo, 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 can I, can you sign that for me? Like, can you throw that to me? Like you're the man. It's like so cowardly and looks like such a bad look, but I just want to know your take on, on sports fans and, and how athletes are looked at. Because to me, even at the college level, like some 18 year olds now, if you're in, if you're the guest at a away place, like I use USF as an example, but we went to Clemson, we went to Duke. If you're the guest, you could be an 18 year old, worked your ass off to get that opportunity, and now all of a sudden, because you have a different jersey on, some dudes are yelling at you and rooting for you to fail. Yeah. And and I don't think that the people watching see the athletes as actual people. They just see them as people playing the game. And as soon as they step off the field, like they're still athletes, but to me, obviously from an athlete perspective, we're people too. Like we're just, yeah. we're just playing the game. So I kind of want to get your take on that. Uh, you know, I think you said it really well and it, it ultimately goes back to culture, right? And the culture around um, sports is they give like a quick announcement before the game, please don't harass any of the players, but I, it's not enforced. Um, I'm not asking for it to be enforced, yeah. nor do I think that would really help. Um, unfortunately, it's part of, the game it's part of playing um but i do agree it's an unpopular opinion and uh i do stand by you heavily and i've experienced you know the worst right but um you know like you said bro the the dad and his son or the 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 couple on their first date like sharing an experience it's awesome (laughs) and you you look at him in the stands and i i would play and like look at a dad and his son just and his dad's pointing out some yeah. new things explaining stuff to him and i'm like it makes me smile yeah. it's like that's awesome yeah yeah i like I, I like that take too i like that i i also don't think that realistically i'm not saying that that sports fans should be perfect and not do that because i i don't think that that's ever gonna ha- that's not gonna ever ha- it's not gonna happen yeah. like there's no way that everyone's gonna be happy-go-lucky in the stands like that's some people come to this like as sad as it is they'll come to the game just to like blow off steam because they feel bad about themselves so they'll try to put it on other people and and that's like i'm not saying that that i'm not saying it's a good thing but i'm not saying that it shouldn't happen because i know that's part of that's part of sports like it's always going to happen you're going to have to deal with it as a player like you're just going to have to find a way to deal with it and again i think when we talked about the mentality and using like the doubt fuels me thing or the dark side like that can that can maybe help you fuel yourself a little bit but I like to me the reason I I bring this up is that if anyone's listening and and they realize that they do this maybe they reflect and and see that the reason they do this is not because because that's what they that that's well there's two reasons they do it because that's what they've they've seen they've been used to society just pushing that narrative narrative like that's what you do at a sports game but also I think that they realize if they reflect a little bit that they'll they'll feel like, damn, maybe something is off in my life and I actually feel bad. And then they look look inner and they feel a little bit better and then they stop doing that. Yeah. Maybe that happens to the people who are listening. Maybe it doesn't. 
Um, but, but that's like, as far as my family, my, like I've talked to my uncle about it and, and the, I have a nine year old and an 11 year old or fuck, he's going to be pissed if I get his, his age wrong, but I think it's like nine and <laughs> nine and 12 now or eight and eight and 11. Um, but I talked to them about it too. And I know that they understand, but because I think it took, it's good to get them younger because I think that when you are so young, like if you see people at the game doing that, you just kind of learn to do that too. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's my thoughts on, on sports fans. And I love sports fans. Like, I don't want this to turn into something where it's like, I don't like, I don't like sports fans and I don't think people should root against me at the game. No, but there's a line. Yeah. No, there is a line. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah. No, go ahead. But, uh, I do get a little bit heated about this one. I say passionate. Yeah. Um, one of my good friends who I trained with, trained with in the offseason, he's in the MLB now. Um, Jordan, Jordan no, Walker? No. No. You, I'll give him a shout-out later if okay. you want. Yeah. But uh, he told me he'd, he'd get DM'd death threats. Yeah. Because, especially now with sports betting. Right. They'd be like, you lost On me. My, I lost yeah. $500 because of you. And it's like, dude, get a life. Yeah. Like, you got to think that these guys are people first, right? And, and uh, I don't know. It's sad. Yeah. It's, I hate to see it. And it's um, there's a line that you can't cross and like <laughs> death threats. Um, I mean, dude, I Fa- would go talk about family. Like, yeah, you, just like you, don't get personal, right? And like, like funny chirps are all fun and games. Yeah, but like, dude, I don't know. There, like, there were some things that I would get kind of mad at, and as long as the player, I would talk to the other guy. Hey, are you okay with this right. guy saying this to you? Because I'll do something. The, uh, did you see the Anthony Rendon thing? No. Some guy called him. Uh, some guy called him a bitch. Yeah, and he grabbed the dude's shirt. Oh, yeah. And Anthony Rondon's being like, right, criticized over it. And it's like, it's like, listen, like he should have thick skin, but like, we're I'm just gonna let some guy talk to me like that. Right. Like, so that's why, that's why I talk about like the man in the arena because everyone who's playing a sport, like those MLB guys, college guys, whatever, like they're in the arena. That's the sport. The sport field is the arena. Like they're the ones actually doing the shit. Yeah. And then those critics are the the fans, like not all the fans, but some fans like that guy, like saying something, but the fans have this sense of security, like, like that guy in, in that situation had a sense of security. Like I can say whatever I want because I'm in the stands and he, he can't react yeah. like they know that. But like I said, if you see that guy face to face on the sidewalk, are you going to say that to him? Same with like Twitter no. or DMing. Are you going to, are you going to say that? No, because that dude's going to beat your ass. Yeah. Like he, he's he's a beast like they would the fans would would never say some of the things that they say if they were face to face with somebody and i think that's cowardly yeah because they're they're, and and you've seen you'll see like russell westbrook or lebron james uh, like those are just the two things a couple videos that come to mind like fans say something to them and they stop and turn and are like what's up yeah and then the fans like they shrink and are like no 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 like i, I didn't say anything like yeah, yeah they dude think they can say whatever they yeah want. you can you think you can say whatever you want until it's to somebody's face and then when you're actually forced to to back yourself up you shrink because you know you're a coward like yeah. that's so those that's some stuff that i think about when i think of sports fans and uh you know it's an unpopular opinion and the casual sports fan are going to be mad at this and that's great. And if they want to say something, they can come talk to my face because you were the one who said this uh, earlier in the year. If somebody's, uh, <laughs> somebody's mad about something, it's probably, you're probably doing something right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think again, that there's a, there's a line for that too. Like I always say, like, I tell myself who cares what other things, like I have a, like a sheet on my, on my bedroom door with a couple, like a couple things and a couple questions that I ask myself like in the morning, but one of them like reminders under reminders, I have a list and one of them is like, who cares what others think? And I think that up to a certain extent, like if you're doing something that is bothering somebody, like then maybe you should care what others think. Yeah. Could we call it reflection? Yeah. If somebody gets angry, maybe you should reflect, reflect. But if you can honestly say that you're doing everything with good intentions, Exactly. Th- then I would say good. So I think it's all behind the intentions. Like if you're doing something with good intentions, someone's getting pissed. Great. Good. Like intentions are everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Go so far. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's all I have. I don't, we don't need to get further into sports fans. People are probably already mad enough <laughs> and that's great. Uh, but one of my other favorite things that I like to talk about is nutrition. And I believe, did you have a, a major or a minor in nutrition? We've talked about this multiple times, but I, I don't remember whether it's a major or minor. Yeah. I got a bachelor's in nutrition from the University of New Haven. Do you have a is there do you have a a minor in anything or was it just the the bachelor's degree in nutrition? Just the bachelor's degree. I flirted with a business minor, but um okay. ultimately I had to go to grad school to get certified in anything. Yeah. Um so nutrition I just I know it a bunch, but I yeah. can't do anything legally. Okay. Can you talk about your nutrition journey from like a young age when you started getting into it and then I want to know like how how it's changed over the times but how you've seen like performance and not only your health on the field but your health off the field like your 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 body like how is how it's felt as you've been eating different things like because we've talked and you've changed your diet over over time and i want to know how you felt emotionally and like mentally and physically as as they've changed so if you want to get into that i know it'll be a little bit longer but that's all right for sure, dude. Um, I think it's like my whole life I was blessed with really great parents that fed me uh, nutritionally positive food, fruits and vegetables, uh, protein shakes. They're encouraging me to, to eat healthy and they were cooking me great meals. And like, I'm so grateful for that. Um, and then moving into college, you know, the stigma is kind of you're eating Easy Mac and pop tarts. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, I did that for maybe like a month or so when I was like, you know, this isn't sustainable. I need to, to really bear down here and, um, ended up taking full advantage of the cafeterias at school, um, which I'm proud of. And, uh, I think helped me just like put on weight and, uh, have sustainable energy, keep on weight in the season. Um, and then ultimately I'm probably telling too long of a story here, but I went to summer ball again in Geneva. And this is why I don't like Geneva Hayden. It was my freshman year. I was really immature. I didn't know how to cook for myself. So uh, the team didn't give, didn't give us fantastic meals. So I would go home and try to cook or I would go to Wendy's. And uh, ultimately, uh, I lost 15 pounds. My parents visited me and they were like, what the heck is going on? Um, I went back to school that sophomore year and I beefed up. Yeah. And this is, it all comes full circle yeah, yeah, yeah. here. But uh, I guess really, I really started taking it seriously sophomore year. I dabbled with like, Someone told me they would drink like a, a full gallon of milk a week and that's how you gain weight. Yeah. And I gained weight, but I felt awful. And then junior year, I think I really finally clicked with some stuff. Um, whole foods. I went like plant-based for a while. Yeah. Um, and I felt really good. Um, 
but I went through a phase where I was like really encouraging other people to do it and they kind of took it as a joke, but I went like no milk, like all that other stuff. Yeah. I was just kind of like maybe on a fad or I went through a phase. Yeah. Um, and then senior year, it, it finally came around where I was like, I'm just going to eat to make me feel good. Um, and that's really when I kind of got this like holistic view of nutrition that was like, you can eat whatever you want as long as you feel good. So when you're eating like food because it's convenient, like fast food or whatever, just because it's there, like, is that really the best thing for you? Because in the back of your mind, you're subconsciously, you want better foods. Well, uh, and by better, I mean maybe like whole foods or foods that like nutrient dense. Yeah. Nutrient dense food. So I like the point that I'm at now, it's kind of like, I mean, I guess before I go there, um, I went to pro ball and guys would eat McDonald's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and they right. could perform at the highest level. Right. Yeah. Which isn't to say that you can't eat that stuff. It's just like, what makes you feel good? Yeah. So if somebody came up to me and they said, man, I eat this and I feel awful, like, well, stop eating that. Like, it's kind of up to you to, to find out what works for you. And, uh, you know, that takes a lot of discipline ultimately. And, you know, nutrition to me is something that it, it should be discipline. It should be, uh, awareness of yourself how your body works and how it reacts to these foods and uh you know and then kind of just executing that really yeah like when when you talk about <clears throat> nutrition and and the first thing like I, I didn't really get started on nutrition until like my my graduate year my first year at northeastern but it just took like playing around with things like exactly. i i I would eat sandwiches and then I was like, Oh, like I saw something that was like, what if you don't eat like bread might be inflaming your gut or harming your gut. So yeah. I was like, Oh, like I don't know if that's true, but let me try it. And I tried it and I felt better. And I was like, damn, like what else could I be like? What else can I use to enhance? So I would just like eliminate like pasta and eliminate that kind of stuff. And I felt better and better, but that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't do anything or, or that doesn't mean that because it works for me, it works for somebody else. Right. Like I have this conversation and argument with my aunt. Like she's like, Oh, I love bread. Like I, I, I could never go without bread. And I'm like, or, or she's like telling me, she's like, why don't you eat bread? And I'm like, well, it doesn't work for me, but if it works for you, like eating that's bread, fine. that's great. Like yeah. there's, I have no problem with that too. And like the same thing when, when you were talking about like plant-based, like I think a lot of people on the team think of me like this carnivore guy, but like I eat fruits and vegetables. Like I, I do love like meat. Like I, I try to have that as my, my base and my protein, but advocate for like a whole foods diet. Like gotcha. w I don't necessarily agree that plants will give you all the nutrition and protein that you need. I think you need some meat and an animal based protein in there. But if you're eating a whole foods diet, like y you're sticking, sticking with things that are growing in the, in nature and, away from man-made processed things yeah like that's great too like i think it, it can it can work both ways and it's obviously been proven to work both ways for me it's more of a meat like meat-based diet and more of a ancestral kind of living thing and i don't think that that's good for everybody but i think for me it works and that's why i think that again nutrition just like baseball or life is individualized so it doesn't not one size fits all for everything ever but but the the tips and if somebody came up to me and asked like tips i would just say try to eat whole foods it doesn't matter like what it is and it doesn't need to be perfect like 
you can have a sandwich here and there and, and whatever, but just try to make the majority of your stuff that's non-processed. Really yeah. That's, that's probably what I would say to somebody too. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Is that allowed on this? I would actually, I probably should have said this before we got on, but if you have questions, it would actually be great to ask me questions throughout because I think a lot of people don't know thing like my views like sometimes i'll just randomly put my views in but unless it's asked maybe they won't know so yeah I have so many questions okay right. yeah go ahead uh do you care where you get your meat from like is it are you specifically looking for red meat is it chicken is it uh does it have to be grass-fed like diving into a whole nother rabbit hole here yeah no uh the source like the sourcing definitely matters to me however i'm living at my aunt and uncle's and I don't have a job like I I make money by door dashing and I make money by giving lessons to kids yeah but I mean I, I'm playing college baseball so there's not a lot of time for me to like have a job that r- generates enough revenue and income enough income for me to source the things that I'd like to like obviously I'd like to have grass-fed organic ground beef and like organic apples and and like raw cheese and all this kind of stuff but i don't have the income to do that so i i have a bj's card and i want to get a a costco card too but i'll just go and buy the tube of ground beef like to me the the ground beef even though it's grain fed is is better than than eating a sandwich or like deli meat to me that like it's about the spectrum so there's like to me there's a spectrum so Obviously, on the far right of the spectrum is, like, the healthy, like, the grass-fed, pasture-raised eggs, like, organic chicken, organic pork, soy-free chicken, soy-free, grain-free pork, grain-free chicken. And then on the other side of the spectrum is Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King, like, all this processed stuff. Yeah. And then the closer I can get to the right side is great, but I make it work with my income level. So whatever you're, like, if my parents aren't, aren't buying if, if you're a high school and your parents are buying your food you can just ask for for chicken and chicken's like cheaper than ground beef so sometimes i'll buy chicken pork is less expensive than ground beef so sometimes i'll buy pork so like i i try to mix it up and just have a variety of like chicken pork i don't have seafood because that's pretty expensive but that's something that i would like to have eventually when i have enough income and so I, even though I don't have that much income, I try to source my stuff as best I can. Like it, it's all revolve. It all revolves around income for me. And right now I don't have that much income, but you can still make it work. Okay. Yeah. So is it safe to say your top priority is being cost effective for right now? Yeah. My, my, my top priority is to be cost effective, but if, if I, I won't allow that to like affect me, if, if I need like a couple more, apples or i need like better rice i will find a way to like to get it done like where do you draw the line because to me i see like bj's and it's like okay i'm like uh like mass production wholesale price right you're buying like however many apples i'm buying in bulk yeah yeah so you're just you're bulk buying cost effective getting your nutrients in because you're a college athlete right Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's really relatable to a lot of people yeah (laughs) yeah every college athlete ever yeah (laughs) right and I understand that some people don't have, so this is a good question. I understand that some people don't have the resources I do. Like I have a, fr- a full freezer. I can just throw all the shit in the freezer. Right. And then pre-cook it. Like Hayden, I went over to his house the other day. He's like more of a standard like college living. Like he's Mini in a, fridge. he's in a mission hill. He's got a normal, he's got a normal freezer and fridge, but like he's making it work. Like he told me the other day, like 
he he has like a a rotisserie chicken. His family has a farm, so he has some ground beef in the in the freezer and some rice. Like he can make it work with with his income and his space and resources that he has too. So it all depends on like that kind of thing. Yeah. But um like for instance for the guys who live on campus and don't even like e- even that's nice for an upperclassman to have a house like that for the yeah. freshmen that something that I've learned about and they're actually ahead of me in this like I'm 24 they're 18 and they know just as much but like Carson um Charlie like when they go to the dining hall they're like they're eating eggs and yeah they're getting the pan is getting sprayed with like shit, but they can't control Like you can't, can't control, control it. it. Yeah, so they're, they're just eating eggs, which is like on yeah. the spectrum. That's way better than eating a bagel and candy in the morning. Right. So on the spectrum, they're doing what they can. So it's all like on the spectrum for, for lunch and dinner, they'll have chicken with like honey and, and ground beef and, and rice yeah. and vegetables. So they're doing what they can. Like they're having cottage cheese and maybe hard boiled eggs. So it's all what you have available and just making what you, yeah. what you have work make the most of it I like yeah that. yeah so yeah that's all I really have for nutrition and I I also wanted to get into mindset stuff with you because you handed me a book the other day the book that you handed me was was the Wim Hof method which is a breathing method mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to talk about your experience with breathing meditation and visualization because that's something that I got into over the summer and I'm I'm really in love with it and passionate about it so I wanted to just get your takes and and your experiences with that yeah um the breathing thing is definitely new er in my understanding of it uh visualization I think I've been doing subconsciously since high school yeah um just like dreaming of of what I'm going to do and like all those things it really no intention of like purposely uh, manifesting the future, but um, yeah. As sorry to cut you off, no, but go ahead. as kids, and when I, when I first learned of this visual visualization stuff, everybody does it. Like when I talk about it, I think a lot of people look at me like I'm this crazy dude. But they've also been doing it since they were five years old they just don't really understand it yeah like so like you said subconsciously like when i was a little kid i i had a pitch back and i had a bunch of hats and i would i i would go outside i had a just a glove and a base like a baseball like it was yeah. a, it was a gravel road um by my house by my on the farm that i live on and i would just like throw into the pitch back but i'd be playing games like i'd be like oh jordy allard strikes out the side like against yourself ground ball to jordy allard he flips it to second throws it to first so like <laughs> I was actually visualizing, but if you go up to a kid and be like, what are you doing? He's going to say, I'm, I'm playing. Like, he's not going to say, I'm, I'm visualizing. So it's just the word. Yeah. It's just, it's just a a different word and a different definition, but we've all been visualizing and manifesting all that since we like, I, I did that from when I was five years old till I was like 14 or 13. Like, and I, and I, I even did it when I was like 17 and 18. Like, and sometimes I'll do it. Like when I'm home, I, I throw in in the arena like I have a horse I have a horse arena and that's where the space that I throw in when I'm home so I'll like pretend like I'm pitching like like or I'll get on the mound and do dry work and pretend that I'm pitching like that's it's all the same thing but as we get older for some reason it becomes a weird thing like because society tries to tell us that it's not normal or we don't need to do it anymore like it's a weird thing that we grow out of yeah for some reason I grew out of it but then I realized that coming back to it was actually why I did so well in the first place 
like I got to where I got to in college baseball because of all the stuff and visualizations I did when I was three years, four years, five years old. And then all of a sudden I came out of it in college and did shitty. And I was like, what's happening? And then I get back to it and now I see performance again. So it's like, we try to get away from these things that we do when we're little, but then it takes away and then we get back to it and then we see the performance again. So it's like, it's just weird that the society and like all these people are trying to say that this is weird stuff, but it's actually what we're supposed to be doing and what, what humans do well and, and what we're meant to do. Like we're meant to dream and vision, Yeah. but somewhere along the line, we get that taken out of us. Why do you think that happens? Conforming to society. Like we're trying to be like everybody else. Like, you know, when you're in, when you're in high school, my first day of high school, like I saw the cool kids wearing slides, Nike slides. I went and got a pair because I wanted to be like everybody else. But so I d- you don't see people visualizing. You're not going to visualize. Yeah, I. I looked at other people and I was like, if I want to be popular and I want to fit in, I need to be like them. So I try to conform myself to them. Do but then I, I lose my individual like individuality and my right. uniqueness. And then that takes away from who from who I am. And then. It, like we all have this specific spirit and soul and energy like we all have a specific thing but when we're trying to go when we go away from our specific thing we it's like we lose this we lose this like light or like you give up a piece of your of your light to to fit in with a bigger group and to yeah like when when i see pictures i see pictures of like could you call it freedom yeah, I guess, but I'm trying to like describe it because it's hard to describe. When you see like, I see like pictures of like meditation and like the, an orb, light ball of light. Like uh, not the orb, but it's like a a sp- like things that surround you, like like legit energy. Like yeah, it's yeah. like the spirit field kind of. Yeah, it's it's like you're talking about. You you get a a picture of, of people who are meditating or people who are, yeah, people who are meditating. You like they have like light around them, like orange light radiation radiating, like the yeah. radiating energy and radiating light. Yeah. <clears throat> and you can't, that's not something that's tangible. You can't actually, you can see it if you, if you look and you can feel it, like you can feel somebody's presence and yeah. that's their energy. Like you, you can, f- it's not because they look a certain way. It's because they're like giving away energy and the, it's like the spirituality of is coming the off of them and, and into you. And you're like, shit, like they have a presence like this is attracting me. It's because their energy is attracting you. Yeah. So like if somebody walks in the room and they have that good energy, that's attracting you. But if you, if somebody walks in the room and they're not like that, you, they're repelling you. You can feel that like you can, as humans were, it's, it's not just physical and, and mental. You can, it's, it's deeper than that. And it's something that if you're not on the, if you don't, think about it and you don't understand it like deeply you you can't understand that like to some people on the team or younger kids if I was like do you feel that energy they'd be like dude what the hell are you talking about <laughs> but like like if you're on a frequency a different fre- frequency than everyone else and you're tuned in that frequency you can feel it so that's like that's how I I think of and that's what I was trying to describe earlier when I was talking about energy but I even for what were we talking about before? This is a really I just, cool tangent. I just I, I just got on a rant like a really about, cool tangent. Yeah, really cool that's tangent. I think we were talking about mindset training and breathing and meditation. And visualization. Visualization. And, and oh, and you asked me about conforming. Yeah. And you were like, <laughs> you were like, why, why am I conf- like, why did I conform? Am I giving away my freedom? So the answer to that question is, I'm giving away that 
radiating energy like when i'm meditating or i carry that around with me like this whatever color it is like this orange energy around me and when i try to like conform i lose that so i lose my uniqueness and then i i would see it as i don't have that energy surrounding me anymore because i tried to conform i lost that energy that was around me so now i don't attract anybody it's like i'm just another person and then when we're all trying to conform we're all these like non-colorful non-energetic beings that are walking around conforming and then when you finally get off that path and go back to uniqueness then you start to grow the energy and then attract you know what i mean does that make sense yeah should okay. i go on a tangent now or yeah. later about this go ahead uh i guess just going back to like yesterday right like they were coming back and uh from the nine nothing what do you mean hayden what do you, what are you making that face for no, 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 no. oh something else oh okay uh they were coming back and you felt this like energy like you felt them coming back in the game they scored five runs all the momentum was on their side and you could feel it like i felt myself yeah you can getting, feel like, it cause, because it comes to us yeah because we feel that energy and it shuts us down like yeah and like, shuts us down you close up yeah yeah so um i guess part of that is like you could feel that and like it's easy for an individual to like switch their frequency it's easier for you as an individual to like separate yourself from that moment, become aware and like start a new, a new feeling, I guess. That's kind of where I was at. Yeah. Like, I was like, you know what? Like, let me step back. And I felt better. Right. Cause I separated myself from the situation, but as a group, it's a lot harder to influence that full group. So when you conform and you give up that individuality where you can kind of be free to, to f be on whatever frequency you want as a group, it's a lot harder to move that, uh, that because all the energy is combining because it's combined yeah but if you did it like once you do it together it's harder to break that so when you're a part of something like that like being part of a team and having success or being terrible that's why you feel so deeply like hey that was the best summer of my life because we were good because the energy is like magnified because everyone's energy is coming together and it's just attracting and multiplying yeah yeah <laughs> yeah no that makes sense but and then like you said like the breathing that's a space where if you're in a bad energy, you can step back and recreate your own energy with that breath. Yeah. Cause like that's connecting you to what's actually making you alive. I think the thing with breathing that was really cool is like, uh, something the Cardinal said that was their like mantra to minor leaguers was like control the controllable. Right. And I took that to an extreme, like I often do. And I was like, what can I control? I can't control my playing time or how I perform. Like I can control how I prepare, but oftentimes there's things that, that, handicap the way we can prepare like travel and and resources and all these other things so i was like what can i actually control and then i got into breathing yeah. it's like the only thing that i have full control over is my breath what i put in and on my body but even those two things like it was like yeah i can control what i put in my body but the only thing that i have to eat here within my budget is yeah. this so i kind of have to eat that food but i can always control my breath and that was kind of really empowering for me. And that's where I started to get into breathing a lot more. And, um, you know, it's brought me a long way. I really, I really like it now. I read the Wim Hof method. Yeah. Um, and he just talked about some techniques. It wasn't anything crazy, but yeah. it just kind of reinforced the uh, positive effects of, of breathing and controlling it and being uh, consciously breathing, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge advocate for, for breathing and breath work and for people who are Looking for more information, definitely look up Wim Hof or follow him on Instagram. He's got good stuff. Good stuff. Um, and that we could go into so much depth on all that stuff, but we'll just, we'll, we'll save it for another episode or for a later time. I want to talk about books and 
you know, you share books with me and I, I've shared books with you in my reading list, but why are books so important? And, uh, when did you get into them? And you can touch this quick. Cause I know we only got like 20 minutes, but I only have a few other questions after this. So okay, go ahead. Uh, I don't know where I started with books. I think it started with like YouTube videos in high school, trying to get motivated before, <laughs> before yeah. big games, um, like hype videos. Um, but it slowly developed into into books. Actually, college. Now I remember college. I just I read the mental game of baseball. Yeah, and it was pretty much like I guess the main point of it was like we spend. Or uh, Yogi Bear's famous quote is baseball is ninety percent mental and the other half is physical, right? Yeah. And it was like, man, I spend so much time working on my physical game and none working on my mental. So let me start to work on my mental. So I read that book, and then that just read led yeah, me down. Yeah, it a just hole. it just spirals. Dude, it's spirals. Like, it's crazy. Reading books is like. It's like addicting. It's great. It's, it's a good it's addiction. A, you could argue that it's a good habit to have. Like, whatever book it, it it it's been proven to make you smarter and have all of these positive effects. It like gives you time for yourself that takes little to no energy. It's also like sorry. No, go ahead. It's it's honestly a form of meditation. Yeah. Like if you're just focused on one task and you're breathing, yeah. it's a form, it's a way to just, if you read a book for 30 minutes, you forget about everything and you're in flow. Yeah. And we'll, we can talk about flow later, but yeah, it's a, it's a way, it's an easy way to get into flow and an easy way to like reset if you yeah. just read a book. Um, I guess I went on this self-help book yeah. uh, wave. Yep. Um, and like I told you, I've, I've kind of gotten away from it a little bit. Like, you know, got to the point where every book I read felt like it was the same, exact thing. same thing, which is f- in a different way. And I, I was like, cool. I, I mean, I have 500 books listed in, in this book list and I know that like half of them are going to be the same thing, but I still want to fucking read them because I just want <laughs> so that one, that one you. sentence that's like different or something yeah. like, you know, no, I hear you. Yeah. And that actually that brings up a good point is I'm, I'm currently on a financial wave, right? Like, yeah. The psychology, yeah. yeah. So I've, I've read like, it has to be close to 10 financial books now. And it's gotten to the point where every single one's saying the same thing. Yeah. But I got to this book that I'm reading now that's just making me so much more invested than the others because yeah. it says things a little bit differently. Yeah. And it's the same thing with baseball, right? Like old school coaches can relate to this. Like, uh, you know, you have 10 coaches say the same thing and you don't understand it. And then one coach says it a little bit differently or you trust them a little bit more or whatever it is. And it just clicks. And you're like, oh, that's what that means. And it's like, well, I told you this like five years ago. Why couldn't you get it then? But it's just because of that, that one little thing, whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think like this is a good topic to actually like bridge the gap between baseball and coaching, but like there's always more to learn. And I think that like books is a great way to find that stuff that you don't know. Like one of the quotes that I found the other day, I'll try to like reword it as it said, but it's going to be a little bit off, but it was like, a fool, a fool thinks he is a wise man and the wise man knows he is a fool or something. So yeah. like if you think you know everything, you're an idiot. Yeah. But if, <laughs> if you know you're an idiot, you're wise. Yeah, exactly. So like I think like reading like is just a way to show that you know you don't know everything and that and that the more knowledge you can get, like the better you're going to be. Um, and, and that kind of leads into like coaching. I know you're a coach now with D- diamond hitting development. I think you rebranded DH development. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Recently so got so some rec- new logos recently, too. recently got some new logos, but how did you get into coaching and, uh, like how has that been beneficial to you? Uh, I wanted to say new logo, shout out Amanda Kerr. Okay. Me out big time. Okay. Um, 
can you ask the question again? Yeah. So, so like, how did how did you get in, how did you get into coaching, and and how is it like? Obviously, when people think about coaching, they think about the coach benefiting the player. Right. But how is the pl- working with the players benefited you? Oh my gosh, so much more right than anything else, and I yeah. feel like players would agree with this too. Like, I've always said, you learn more from your teammates than you do your coaches, which is like kind of how I want to live by as a coach too. Like, like the stuff that I say to them is going to be barely absorbed, but if, if they can, if I can kind of guide them to lead each other, that's what we're looking for. And that's good culture. And ultimately like what you guys are trying to do at your school, right? Like, and everything else. Um, I've, I've always had a niche for coaching and just like teaching others. I think teaching helps you learn better. Um, and I don't know if this was manifested from my childhood, but like, uh, you know, I've, I, I started with like working out and I was like, I want to show others that like, yeah. like how to make them feel good. Right. Like I feel great right now. Like I want to show others how to do that. Uh, and then it kind of evolved into baseball. Like I've obviously, you know, I just kind of like fortunately and unfortunately I get a lot of respect for playing pro ball. Yeah. And I, you know, it, I feel bad for coaches that don't have that like natural respect, but uh, I want to take advantage of that as much as I can and just help guys. And then diamond hitting, kind of came around in college and I've just kind of tried to run with that as much as I can and keep helping people. Yeah. And, and with diamond hitting, like it's, it's, I love reading the tweets and I like the content that you're posting. And obviously we talk about a lot because uh, I'm, I'm starting to post some content stuff and not for people in the know. So just primal baseball. Yeah. Go follow. We'll, uh, we'll keep that low key, but eventually, eventually I'll share it. Um, it's going to be good stuff. Yeah. So what are your goals? goals for the future like with diamond hitting or do you have any goals for the future yeah i've been getting asked this a lot lately um and to go on a quick tangent like in college my goal was to play professional baseball yeah affiliated specifically right um and once i got there it was i guess it it was everything i expected but also some stuff i didn't and um you know, it was kind of like very deflating. It was like, man, I'm at my end goal. Like now what? So I've kind of made like a, a little bit of a pact to never make an end goal again and just try to be in the present moment as much as I possibly can. So, you know, if you said end goal with diamond hitting, I would, I would say I don't have one. It's yeah, just, that's good. It's help as many people as possible. And I, I'm trying to use social media as a platform to do that. Um, and then an end goal for my life. Like, obviously I, I have, you know, some plans that I'd like to accomplish, but yeah. it's nothing. Everything's got to be so far out of reach now because playing pro ball seemed like it was, it was light years away. And it, once it happened, it was like, wow, I feel exactly the same. That's, that's interesting. You said that once you got to pro ball, like it was underwhelming, yeah. but because when we're set on this like vision, like when I was a high schooler or when I was in a little leaguer, I wanted to be a college baseball player. But once I got there, it was like, okay, now what? So exactly. like, it's never really that destination that's going to bring you fulfillment or happiness. It's always that, um, push like the things you're doing to get there. That's going to bring you the happiness. Like that workout that you just hit or that training you did or the paper you typed or whatever, like all that, the journey is actually the the thing that's going to bring you the happiness. And the end goal is great to get there and it'll bring you happiness for a little bit, but you're not going to be fulfilled or, satisfied that by that it's always the the process that's gonna that's gonna be the real like the reward like yeah. the, the work is the reward um so that's pretty much all i had for today but 
I have a set of rapid fire questions that I ask everybody, yeah. and, and these are not part of the rapid fire, but I just wanted to ask your favorite fast food. Quickly, come to whatever. I definitely have one. I can't think of it right now. Hold on. I mean, is like Five Guys fast food? Yeah, that's fine. <sighs> five Guys is fire. Oh, now we're opening up the door for a lot. I'm just gonna go with like Five Guys. Yeah. I like yeah. An occasional burger from there is great. Okay. Favorite thing about being on the road, traveling. Ooh, seeing new places. You like Long Branch, New Jersey? Uh, no, but I think like, <laughs> like perspective is cool. Like you come yeah. down here and it's still cold, and yeah. we sit in Boston. And we're like, man, if I was just a couple, couple hundred miles south, that would be, yeah. it would be so much better. And it's like, well, it's not much better down here. So yeah. enjoy where you're at. That's fair. Favorite thing about coaching? Uh, hard to explain. I'd say like, when a player like like the rewarding feeling of like helping somebody reach like enlightenment or just like like even like a, a split moment of like an yeah. aha moment like those that's so cool to me yeah just like i helped yeah and yeah all right now now we are on the rapid fire questions oh okay these these might be tough and i probably should have showed you them before but we're gonna roll with it no no hit me let's go favorite book uh the one you said it was relentless by tim hoover that was tim grover tim grover yeah, yeah. favorite memory from baseball Winning the conference championship in college, the any ten championship was, I'll never forget that. Favorite memory from outside of baseball? <sighs> Tough to pick a favorite, honestly, Jordy. When you were talking about throwing the ball off the pitch back, yeah. that hit deep with me. <laughs> yeah. I, I did the same exact thing. I'd throw a ball up to myself and hit it into the woods, yeah. and it would ricochet off off uh, a bunch of trees. I, I put. I would. That. I have a. I live on a farm, and we have a a flat field, and I made a wiffle ball field, and I would I would go up and play throw up the ball and play with ball games against myself like like run the bit like dead ass like throw the ball up hit it run for double be like safe at second like man on second go back hit it again be like he hits a home run yeah and like do with ball championships against myself too so it's all like that's that's where i think uh, that's where i was at my best i think honestly like that's where my performance is at my highest and i'm nasty with football so um have you ever been in flow state and can you describe it oof of course i have describe it uh f like fully immersed in the present moment it's really hard to describe but like being in the flow state is like you feel like really good like your body's almost like tingling a little bit physically and then mentally like you're just so engaged with what's going on that you like nothing else matters it's like the one thing that matters um yeah that's how i would describe it to the best of my ability yeah uh what is something uncomfortable that you want to start doing in order to grow something that's uncomfortable yeah i want to have more uncomfortable conversations i think i really like when people get like passionate about a topic like angry or happy like i kind of uh go into a little bit of a shell like naturally like i feel myself getting tense yeah i don't know if that's the energy thing we were talking about but uh i want to just kind of like really encourage those conversations more often yeah i think i think especially even with my teammates like some of them I have deep connections with and have connected with like on a pretty deep level. Like, but most of the conversations that I have, I don't think are uncomfortable. They're pretty comfortable and like surface level, like surface level. But I feel like if I, it, it is uncomfortable, if you don't know the guy that well to like start to get deeper and yeah. like you, when, when, when they start to talk about something deep, you like shy away from it and you're like, yeah, ah, yeah. Like well, let's move, let's move over here and not yeah. talk about that. So that's cool. Uh, most, vo most valued non-material possession non-material possession most valued 
I mean, what do you possess if it's not material? Athletic ability, relationships, um, some sort of quality you have. I think a lot of people are, like feel comfortable approaching me for whatever reason. And uh, sometimes it stinks because it's like people that are looking for something. <laughs> but uh, yeah. other times it can be like really beneficial. Like I know a lot of people have come to me for support. And like I actually I appreciate that quality about me. And, okay. and I hope it carries throughout the rest of my life. Something you, I guess is similar, but something you often forget you're grateful for. I have a, a healthy family and, uh, you know, I live in Boston now, which is f- further away from them. But, you know, at times I f- like forget <laughs> that I have a, f- a home, a home back in Connecticut and, uh, yeah, a place to call my own, I guess. And then last, qu- last question of the day is advice for your five-year-old self. Oh man. Life or baseball advice or both. I would like to say like some type of like be in the present moment, but my five-year-old self wouldn't understand what I'm saying. Right. Uh, like something along those lines that a five-year-old would understand. Maybe like, maybe like trust people more or like, like be happy with where you're at. Some, some type of simplification of that. Yeah. Well, well, that's all I got. This is now the new longest episode we've ever done. So that's sick. Hayden. Jordy, thank you for having me, man. Yeah, this is of awesome. Course. I'm I'm glad uh we finally got to talk. I know we've been talking about it for weeks, but finally executed. So That's now cool. now we got a good rest of the day planned. We're gonna go practice, lift, and then I'm gonna beat Hayden in monster mini golf. So good Let's day. Go. Good day uh lined up. So thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next episode.